Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm going to be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right. Don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple podcast as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Hi, this is Ruben off the cheek. This is William. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back. Second episode of the week from your boys at the London is Blue podcast. Brandon still out dealing with some stuff at the moment, but we are uh, sending him some positive thoughts at the moment Nick. nothing super serious but uh when the building unit above you floods it's uh it's never a good sign sure sure i mean i have dealt with this in the past uh it's you know water damage is just the worst thing in the world um so uh, you know thoughts thoughts with him uh, also there could be a hangover involved today we're not 100 percent sure as uh, i think him and uh, him and morgan went to a wedding yesterday so you know, there's probably a combination of factors, Dan, uh, leaving Brandon uh, on the bench, um, un- unable to play. Well, and, and, and you know, we've done this before. If you are, this is, this is the first time you've heard a Nick and Dan show episode, you are thinking for a treat. You know, we uh, we have figured out that when we get Brandon out of the equation for a week, <laughs> we pretty much can solve any singular, singular or multitude of problems that's going on at Chelsea Football Club in the moment, Nick. I think we, we ultimately may even find the solution to world peace in this episode today. Yeah, so stay tuned, world leaders of all, of all stripes. Um, yeah, what you'll find without a, without a pesky Brandon involved is that there's less fence sitting. You know, there's less middle ground, um, which, is, which is great because we just get to say any ridiculous thing we want and he can't do anything about it. <laughs> That's right. We make sure that uh, if we're going to get a little loony, we get Brandon out of the equation. But 
this is our second episode of the week. We're going to dive a little bit further into the Sheffield United batch, and we're going to do that through the lens of some of the questions we've gotten from those of us, uh, those of our supporters on Patreon. So these are patrons. They come through our Discord channel. If you want to get involved with that, head to Patreon, hit it up. It's a great way to get engaged and have an awesome community to chat with as well. But Nick, before we jump in, quick couple housekeeping items, promo codes you want to share, and then we will get right into the questions coming after the match. Absolutely. Uh, you know World Soccer Shop, a uh, longtime partner of the show. Uh, they have a code LONDONPOD for 10% off. That'll get you some free shipping or, or customization or you know, a, a trinket of some sort. So uh, go, go there. Talisman Caps, uh, London Blue 10 is the promo code for 10% off, $35 or more. $35 is the uh, average price of a of a quality cap from their from their shop, so that's a good thing. They also will still likely have their fall sale going on. So if you're interested in, in something besides a cap, like let's say a hoodie or a tee or a polo, um, you can take 15% off of those and then an extra 15% off all sale apparel with the code fall15. And then you you know classic football shirts. They have they have classic football shirts um <laughs> we're we're gonna go to their london shop when we're over uh in a couple of weeks we're really excited about that might even do a little bit of uh of uh of czech uh lampard drogba action when we go to munich for Oktoberfest. dan uh we are <laughs> really excited about this uh this idea and hope to not get beat up well we, we just know that we can make friends anywhere we've we found that to be true time and time again and we figure what's the best way to make friends than being in Munich wearing Chelsea kits from a Champions League season and uh, making sure that we, you know, share a couple beers and, uh, you know, remind people of uh, what happened in their city in, uh, in 2012. Very, very good uh, good decision-making on our part, and I don't see any singular problem with it. There's no way it could go wrong, folks. <laughs> We're geniuses. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's get in. So these are the questions we get from our patreon members we'll start with a very very on the nose one from ben who just basically and bluntly in a, in a probably a way that nick verlaney would appreciate asked the question why can't we put two halves together i can confirm that i do enjoy this question uh it is one that i thought about uh, multiple times throughout the preseason and, and early in this season um you know i think we lamented Maurizio sorry for for his um, you know second half approach in a lot of games last year and outside of the outside of the Norwich game um, you know which I think we, we came out stronger in the second half and, and really put the game to bed uh, there there seems to be an issue and there seems to be some fatigue both physical and mental which we talked about in, in part one. But the but the approach has also then changed. Like the line or the the formation changed yesterday, Dan, to to a four two three one. I think we lost some uh, some um, you know physicality in the midfield, and uh, the back was still pretty open. There there seemed to be gaps between midfield and defense that you know even Sheffield United, who are going to struggle to score goals this year, uh, found uh, ways to attack. So this is a this is a thing that frank has to to really assess over the international break and i'm sure he's going to figure out a way to get it right i think what i would look to is the fact that versus norwich and even a little bit more flat-footed but in the first 15 to 20 minutes of this match versus sheffield what you saw is chelsea swarm against players you're looking at 
everyone is just pressing up high, keeping that high line from the defense, trying to push Sheffield back into their into their own box to basically put their own players inside of their goal. And that requires a hefty lift from energy, from mental concentration, and it requires everyone working in concert with one another. Ultimately, that is a very, very hard thing to keep up for 90 minutes, especially as you look at conditioning, you look at the fact that rotation has been limited by a significant number of, of injuries or individuals who are out or non-selectable at the moment for Frank. And I think that's where if we take a lesson, not often do you want to take a lesson from Liverpool or Spurs, but at least in this case, Liverpool did win the Champions League last year. So we'll allow it in this one instance is that getting a team capable of playing such a high press, getting a team who's capable of doing it for a significant portion of the match and finding less phases of resting is something that takes time, Nick. And so I think if this is the model of football that we're going to have going forward, the the patience level required to watch this team acclimatize to it, it's, it's no different than climbing a mountain, right? You have to figure out how do you climb it get your lungs and body accustomed to you know, breathing in less oxygen and then beginning the climb again. It can't be something you try to climb all of Everest in one hit. You know, that's how you end up in a, in a cave and the meal for the other individual who's, uh, who's left alive. Wow. What an analogy that was. Um, we yeah, went dark I, here. We, we go dark yeah. when Brandon isn't here. Yeah. Darkest timeline reinstated. Um, we're all going to die on Everest. Okay. So, yeah, I think the I think what you just brought up is is right. You know, even you know if you look at a, a thing with uh, like Liverpool, for example, who you know uh, Jurgen Klopp is is famous for gegenpressing, pressing, right? He had to over the course of his tenure as Liverpool manager figure out how and when to press. You cannot press for ninety minutes in the Premier League. It's too physical. It's too much work. And even if you could do that once, you can't do it over the course of an entire season. It's just not an effective way to play football. So Frank has to understand, you know, kind of when his players are gassed, when when they can go. You know, a lot of times that's at the beginning of the match. Uh, but it, right now, Dan feels to me like a boxer that doesn't have a lot of stamina, that goes into the fight knowing that he has to win in, in the first three rounds. Otherwise, it's going to be a long night and, and – maybe not win at the end that that feels about right to me i think ultimately we will find a path forward we'll find what our balance is and i think you look back to the super cup match you know we we took some different tactics in we were a little bit more reserved in in choosing to kind of counter or press in in moments and i think it'll come from the respect for the competition it will come from again having the right selection of players available uh, and then I think it will come down to Frank Lampard's game management. and Because uh, I think as we talk about that, get into a second question from our wonderful friend, Big Nash, asking, our winningest manager parked the bus often. Uh, I don't think he parked the bus, but uh, I think the managers he was underneath parked the bus to secure big wins. Is Frank hesitant to park the bus as a manager? Nick, are you seeing a little bit more uh, fight rather than uh, holding up in the foxhole moments to, to bag the points? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I think this is actually something I was a little bit surprised about yesterday because, you know, Frank, I, I don't think could have looked at the, 
the performance in the second half and said, yeah, we definitely got another goal in us. <laughs> you know, like it just did not seem to be on the cards, uh, even though there were a couple of a couple of chances that were, were kind of lackluster. Um, it, it is a little bit surprising that he hasn't kind of gone deep block. He hasn't defended and, and tried to counterattack a little bit more with some of the speed that we have. Um, there is a lot that's kind of reminiscent of us kind of, uh, you know, doing this um, kind of attacking possession-based approach from, from last season. And, you know, it did leave us open at the back. It did, you know, kind of lead to some late, you know, chances for, for other teams. And I, I would, you know, with a young team who needs to have, you know, results to gain confidence, I would institute in the 81st minute uh, after we've been, you know, uh, attacked a few times in the second half, I would institute a low block. I would get everybody back. I would make sure that we have a solid shape. And that um, that seems to be the way to get a, a result. And, you know, I know that in, in, in his heart of hearts, he's a goal scorer. He wants to, to win the game, um, you know, at the other end. But, but Dan, to me, it seems right now that we, we just kind of need to be a little pragmatic about it. I think about the way you look at it is that the substitutions, when you bring in Mishi when you're, and you're hoping that he's going to contribute in maybe an attack-minded mode, when you have the lead at the 83rd, 84th minute when he's coming in, you imagine that there's about another eight to nine minutes left of the match to play. That, to me, is the opportunity to look to someone, which I thought the man, the management and the substitutions were better in the Norwich match when you bring on someone like Alonzo to shore up defensively, potentially bring in someone like Christensen, who's going to be more tidy with the retention of the ball. And, and really, like the other team can't get an opportunity to shoot on our goal if our team has possession of the ball crazy idea nick i know but i think ultimately that is where i was hoping to see us go in the final minutes of the match and we did when we didn't go there i was a little surprised and felt like we seeded the the seeded our advantage to sheffield's because they were in the ascendancy they smelled blood in the water and they knew that if they kept pressing and pressing and pressing they would be able to break us down that moment because the, a lot of the strength had been removed from the side in that moment yeah i mean it's it's a it's 100 right the you know the, the the worst two times you can can see goals right at, you know right before or after halftime and then you know right at the beginning of the match at the end of the match right like you don't leave yourself a whole lot of margin for error with the latter and with the former i think it changes the entire tone of the match um that to me is is something that you know, we got to have a stronger mentality coming out. We got to be ready to play right at the the start of the whistle, and it wasn't there yesterday. Right. Well, speaking of those type of things, so we, we did get questions from Logan and uh, PFS, who were both giving uh, some questions around uh, the the youth. Uh, Logan was more about was bringing on Gilmore rush decision to please the youth moment. He looked very nervous and shaky and lost possession a couple too many times. We were in need of some offense. And then uh, POS saying, uh, was this the right time for Lampard to change the defense and blood even younger youth team players, or should he have continued with the same team as before? Uh, I know that I was a little surprised to not see Christensen in after some of the performance that he's played, and I, I get rotation. I get Frank trying to figure it out. Tomori had played against Sheffield United last season, so he had some level of understanding of, of how that team likes to play, but... I, I think I felt like it was a bit of a, a tactical misstep, at least in that moment in that match, to 
not field Christensen and Zuma together as they were starting to form at least some type of partnership, Nick. And I, I feel like the continuity question for me is, you know, either it means that Rudiger is absolutely going back in and he's still figuring out who the best partner for Rudiger is going to be. And maybe that's, that's the right angle to think about it. But I, I just don't know if I, I liked that decision. Well, I mean, I think your point about Christensen is, is, is warranted, right? Because even if he wasn't brought in, you know, or even if he didn't start the match, he could have been brought in as a central defensive midfielder to help shore things up. Right. I mean, he's played that position before, so I think that was there. There was a little naivete there. I mean, I understand Frank wanting to give um, Billy, you know, his his moment, you know, and, and instill confidence in him that he sees him as a future part of the the football club. But you know, again, this is not a team that can just give away points. You know, like we don't we don't know how many points this team has in them this year yet. And I think it, it seemed to me. A little too Hollywood, um, kind of writing your own script rather than um, you know something that was a little bit more pragmatic. Um, you know, it's it's again, this is no, this is no kind of takedown of Billy Gilmore's performance. I mean, like I, I try and put myself in that mentality as a 17-year-old, you know, in front of 45,000 people trying to do a good job and and keep the keep the win alive. Um, I just I don't know if it was the right moment for him, and so that's when I would lean a little bit. You know, in a side full of youth, I'd lean more towards experience. Dan. Yeah, I think the other one is is you know I know he's a fan favorite of many, uh, especially after his uh, thank you Arsenal comments at the end of the you know Europa League celebrations and bus loading process last season. But not seeing Giroud come on for Mishi again felt like just another tactical misstep in trying to shore up the the match appropriately uh, i i think again you know when we had dan levine on the last episodes if you listen out of order uh, go back and listen to that one but we did talk about just the fact that like this is a learning process for frank lampard this is his second year as a manager he's doing it with a reduction of our best goal scorer with multiple players like our best player in golo conte out of the side at the moment and it's tough I mean, again, we, we, we're not going to drop the standards to say we shouldn't be winning these type of games, but I think when you get a chance to step away from the reactionary moment of it and look at it holistically, there's a lot that everyone from the players and the manager and the, the board come January or the summer need to be doing to help get this working and firing all, on all cylinders. And I mean, we're seeing the signs that's going to happen, but yeah, definitely uh, an opportunity to continue. Uh, and... Nick, we did get a question here from Chase, and uh, it was a question for the goalkeepers' union. So we will try to do our best embodiment of Brandon Busby and answer sure. it. But it was essentially, why will goalkeepers always wait until right when the defense is on them to kick the ball away? Is it bravado or a tactical reason? Um, I, I mean, I think it depends on the goalkeeper, right? Like if you're thinking about Allison from from Liverpool, it's probably a little bit more bravado. You know, same with Ederson. You know, I think the you know, if you're getting pressed as a goalkeeper, I to me it makes a, a lot of sense to kind of evaluate your options, especially now as the center backs are able to drop back into the box um, and make sure that you can beat the press. So uh, that that to me makes a lot of sense to kind of wait to evaluate kind of where the best pathway is going to be um, instead of just hoofing it long. But I also think there are times this season that Keppa and, and the defense, uh, especially with, with Zuma and uh, Emerson's side, have gotten a little bit too cute 
um, for, for my taste personally. And that's, that's the thing that you could see coming back to bite us, Dan. That, that's kind of what I'm worried about in the end. Yeah, I, I don't know if the distribution has been all that great. And I think distribution is twofold, right? It's the goalkeeper picking the right opportunity, whether it's a throw, whether it's a pass, whether it's a, a long ball. And then it's also the availability of the player to not get closed down and put themselves in space to either in transition or uh, to hold up and, and claim the ball. I think there were a few times in this match where Keppa placed the ball on someone who was either immediately closed down or was getting closed down. And I think that's when he opted to start maybe doing some of the, the shorter passes. He definitely wanted to move quickly and, and always wants to move quick to try to restart the attack. But I think in general, he's had more of a rockier start to the season than uh, than many would have assumed, given how just impressive he was kind of heading into the end of last season, which I think, again, is part due to the fact that there is some defensive instability at the moment, multiple players rotating through, which doesn't give that goalkeeper and defense solidity or kind of mental link the, the same kind of abilities as it would maybe 10, 15, 20 games in the season when you have uh, you know, a really good understanding of how everyone plays and, and what to look out for. I think that's where he maybe gets a, a little caught off guard now. So not to put the blame solely on him, Nick, but I think it's it, part of his challenges is also the same challenges that the defense is having is that the, the team is still getting accustomed to one another. Yeah, and, and the reason why you have to win against Sheffield at home and you know, beat the teams that Chelsea should be beating are that we, we need to have confidence. So I, I think this team, when they're, when they're, you know, as confident as they're going to be, are going to be a tough team for anyone in the league to play, including City uh, and Liverpool. I think, you know, if they're not confident, you know, Sheffield United can, can come draw at home. And, you know, confidence goes all the way back to the goalkeeper and all the way up to Tammy. Um, you know, there has to be understanding. There has to be, you know, a system that, you know, as P knows exactly where uh, Kovacic is, knows exactly where you know Pulisic is on the right hand side, and it can and can you know put the ball where he needs to without really thinking about it. And then uh, you know on the other side, I think you have to kind of look to Emerson and and Mason and and you know perhaps uh, and, you know Jorginho or or someone else to say like, hey guys, like we you know if the distribution is coming out to the sides as it did last year. Uh, from the goalkeeper, we we can't then continue to put ourselves, you know, back into a a situation where we can get pressed. Um, that you know is something we really struggled with last year, and and it's I'm kind of seeing signs of that again. So it's a good question, though. I mean, I, you know, Brandon can't say anything, which makes me really happy about this because <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you would you would surely get oh it's not a Kepa's fault, uh, um, but. Yeah, he hasn't looked great this year so far, so I think that's fair to say. I'm trying to figure out which Muppet you've assigned, which Jim Henson creation you've you've basically assigned Brandon. Maybe that will be a question we can float out there. But which Muppet should Busby be? Tweet at us. Uh, we we would love to hear it, and that's that's my voice for him from now on. Wow. What I would say is that we are seeing though, and I've seen this a couple times, where Keppa will connect it 
immediately forward to one of the central defenders and that individual, whether it be Zuma or uh, Christensen, will actually carry it forward, cutting down the middle, which has been creating some space on the wings because then ultimately people have to come back in centrally because they need to close down the space that's been created for that uh, individual to carry it forward. So what I am liking is the fact there is some diversity in the way that we're launching the attacks versus last season with the recycling that would occur, which was, you know, well, uh, Keppa to right back, back to Keppa, Keppa to left back, back to Keppa. And that, that was the only, you know, we only went down really the flanks to generate the start of our attack, then into Jorginho, then back out to the flank. It was very, you know, very tri- you know, triangles, right? Like it's 90, 90, 90, and you would just kind of hit it to whichever one of those people was ascribed. I, I do like the fact that we are seeing different, ways to start the attack and and that at least is something uh both for keppa and the defense and, and frank that I, we should feel good about nick yeah yeah I think, I think there are positives i think this team needs time to gel and you know again i think I'm, i'll go back to this a lot this season the premier league is not not the place to gel i mean you got to have your your ducks in a row and your game plan together and execute it well to to be successful and um, you know, we're still kind of waiting to see the team put together kind of a full performance and I'm, I'm hopeful that they're able to do it quickly. All right. Well, we wrapped on that one here. Let's just take a quick, quick ad break and we will be right back to talk about our next topic, which looks like it's about William Pedro Kalmanson Adoy RLC. What's going on with that formation challenge and selection challenge. Be right back. All right. Well, selection challenges. Uh, Millhouse on Discord dropping the question. Nick, is William only playing because Calum Hudson Adoy, Pedro, and RLC are injured? Will he be dropped when everybody else is healthy? He seems to try to do too much by himself. And before I give it to you, I do want to defend William a little bit because I think at, for his cameo appearance yesterday, the things that he was doing right in general were keeping the ball and actually pushing it forward closer to the final third and giving us some uh, actually like pulling the the Sheffield team a little bit to get us further forward and I, I think yes he didn't contribute a goal or assist and, and yes I mean they're, they're, they're still him getting back up to speed but I actually think he was out of all the substitutions that occurred yesterday uh, one of the you know one of the right substitutions to take place yeah I don't know I think the you know, is he going to be dropped when everyone else? Uh, you don't know that. I mean, I, I don't, uh, you know, if I were making the lineup, I don't think he'd be a, a bang on starter right now. But, you know, I think there's still, again, you know, I know everyone's excited for Callum to come back. I know everyone's excited for Ruben to come back. Um, their injuries are serious, man. There's, <laughs> I, I can't. I can't emphasize how serious an Achilles injury is, uh, even though it appears Callum's was was less uh, less impactful than Ruben's was. I mean, it it is absolutely devastating injury, especially for players who are you know kind of speedy and who have a lot of you know um, torque that's generated when they push off. Like it is, it's just not a good thing. So again, even though Callum's back in training and could be ready after the international break, you just Hope, hope, hope that the Chelsea training staff is smart enough to give him time to really be full strength again. Um, you know, only he's going to know that, and only his body's you know going to be able to tell him when it's when it's time to go. So I'm I'm certainly not uh, trying to preach 
from from a hilltop somewhere to to tell him to wait until December if his body's ready in September. But you know, I think the worst possible thing that could happen is that you know he eventually signs this contract, which somehow still isn't done, um, and then gets injured again, and and you know with the same injury, and and that's that's when it becomes like career threatening. So I think you gotta kind of take all that into context when you're thinking about him coming back and then also think about William's injury, which is far less serious. Um, you know, William coming back just needs to gain fitness. You know, he's not fit right now. He is not sharp right now. There are a lot of passes that went wayward yesterday, Dan, that, you know, a fit, confident, you know, um, William definitely makes those plays happen and is able to dribble past people with ease. Um, you know, I think, I think that's just something where he has to gain a little bit of confidence. And, you know, Pedro's going to come back from this injury too. I, I would look for the experience of those two in the immediate term to start over, you know, players who are who are on longer-term injuries like Callum and Ruben. And, you know, let's see if Rudiger's going to be healthy in there too and Golo and all these guys. There's there's a lot of reason points there, Nick. Just the, the absolute takes that you come here for, they are not even lukewarm. They are uh, a freezer cold <laughs> in terms of their heat. And, yeah, that, that all sounds right to me. I'm, I'm not going to – I think what William does offer, and I think it is the – he does not offer a ton of goals. He does not offer a cross into the box that typically beats the first man. Uh, so we can, we can be very honest about where his game maybe has not – matured or is not as sharp as someone like Mason who can offer a great corner Barkley taking the, the free kick the other day was super annoying um yep but what William does do well uh, especially on the left hand side is that he will be able to keep possession uh, of the ball and hopefully as he gets fitter and fitter will be in a position to help move the ball around and get it into the appropriate areas. And when you look at where we've struggled, it, it's really us getting actually into the, the attacking third. You know, if you think about yesterday, 711 passes, only 121 occurred in the attacking third. You know, if you're getting close to 70 plus percent possession, like you need to find a way against these defenses of being able to recycle, keep possession, not turn the ball over, especially when you have a very fragile defense at the moment. I think those are the things that the the attackers can do a better job of to help. And even though we've seen some some dispossession, we saw some pretty poor pass selection at times yesterday. Uh, I, I do think a healthy William, a healthy Pedro, Pulisic getting a little bit of rest potentially over this international break, even though he's been called up. Um, Mason not being forced to play on the left wing. Uh, Callum coming back healthy. And, and again, I mean, we've only seen Callum in in brief glimpses across what would be the start of his professional career. And, and to your point, like if we're not letting N'Golo Conte play for like an ankle issue, and that's a, kind of a pain management potentially situation. I think the Chelsea medical staff will is is very much working on the benefit of the player. Frank is working for the benefit of the player to make sure that they're healthy for the long term and not just the uh, the short term scenario. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like I know I know we're all excited for these like five quality injured players to come back, and especially as we haven't. You know, we've only been able to sign Kovacic in the summer and we have a bunch of, you know, youth players coming back from loan. There's just, 
we have to be willing to give them time. I mean, because the long term is so much more important than the short term. Like if N'Golo Conte is really not healthy, don't play him. Don't play him till fucking October. I don't care. Like long term, N'Golo Conte is the best player at the club right now. And we can't have him on again, off again, injured uh, all season. That's just not a sustainable way to go about it. So other players in the midfield are going to have to step up when he's hurt. He's clearly done more than his lion's share uh, at, since 2016, since he arrived at the club. He's an unbelievable player. Uh, same with Ruben, same with Callum, same with Rudiger, same with all these guys. Like we got to make sure that when they're right, they're, you know, that they're, you know, they're playing, but if they're hurt, we got, you know, we have to take a long-term approach. It just, it, it annoys me at the short-termism of a lot of fans and, you know, if I were a player, I would certainly hope that people were interested in my total health rather than just what I can do for them on a Saturday. So, so contextually, because I think this, you know, this is not the a question, but what are your thoughts about if the season we had with Sorry last season was really difficult because we got out of the gate really strong and then struggled with results in the tail end of the season. And, and unfortunately right now we're on, we're on trend to have more than the nine draws that we achieved last season. But narratively to me like if frank struggles initially solidifies into the let's say 12th match 13th match forward for the remainder of the season i i think the that's something i would rather have i'd rather our our licks and our, you know, our wounds be licked um earlier in the season and then we build to something great versus starting out really strong breaking down and having this this kind of malaise within the middle i would rather that we learn initially as we get these players back up and fit and what's your what's your thought on just how how we think about the framing of the season especially related to last season where we did start so strong but then petered off ended obviously in a high but we really had some periods that were were not pleasant in the middle (laughs) yeah i mean i think i'd much rather you know, and I'm, by the way, when I say this, I'm I'm not saying that we are going to win the league. But if you think back to the Antonio Conte season one uh, approach, where we, you know we struggled at the beginning of the season um, pretty mightily, and then it was, you know, what I think first match in October that you know the team went to the three four three, and then everything changed. And we won the league, but I would much rather go that way, figure it out in this early part of the season. Um, because you can recover, you know, if you, if you strengthen and you, and you finish strong, you can recover. Uh, the other way that, you know, happened last year relies a lot on other teams not finishing. <laughs> so, um, you know, I'd much rather kind of, you know, go, go a little bit from weakness to strength than from strength to weakness, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, let, let us know what your thoughts are. Like hit us up on uh, Discord, hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all those wonderful places. Let us know what you think about just the, the structure of the season. Uh, again, you know, we had, we had nine draws all of last season and, you know, we, you know, that happened under Marisa Sari happened on a Europa League, league winning side with Eden Hazard. Uh, yeah, it should not be all doom and gloom this early into the season, uh, especially before we go over. And, uh, you know, Nick, we, we tend to bring 
victories with us, or at least entertaining draws. <laughs> yeah, that 0-0 against Southampton last year was was quite the thing. Um, it was a delight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, let's let's hope we get a little bit more entertainment than that. I think I think we'll be just fine. All right, kind of combined question here: Aerith Muggle and Big Nash talking a little bit about Azpilicueta and kind of some of the the challenges that he's seen. Uh, Shane just putting it kind of right on the nose there. Both goals involved Azpilicueta getting beat and a cross going to the player Zuma was covering. Discuss and uh, again another question straightforward that Nick Verlaney would appreciate. Uh yeah. I mean, look, on part one of this week, we kind of discussed Aspie in, in some great detail. So I want to, you know, I don't want to be so repetitive here. But, but yeah, both both attacks came from that side. Um, you know, I think that was, you know, I, I don't, you know, I know Zuma got a lot of stick after for the own goal. I mean, I think he was just trying to do his best to cover. Um, and, and that happens sometimes. I mean, even JT had own goals squad. So, like, let's. Let's try and keep a little bit of a level head on that. But I, I certainly understand the frustration. And, you know, we, we know that Aspie has uh, has had better games than what he's you know kind of put out at the start of the season. And we also know that, you know, he's the captain. He's responsible for the for the team on the field. And, you know, you could you could make some pretty strong arguments that that he needs to improve. Um, you know, I think to you know, some earlier points. Uh, he has a lot of responsibility and he's played a lot of matches and looks like he's running through sand at points, Dan. And, and, you know, I think the ability to rotate a little bit will be, you know, probably welcome <laughs> for him, but, uh, but it's not as if there's any option really to do that. Uh, unless Frank goes kind of to a back three and institutes a wingback approach um, again. So, I, you know, I, I, again, we're going to have to rely on him. He's going to play a big role in the season. And, um, you know, Reese is not ready from injury yet. So, you know, for, for those who want to anoint him before his time, you know, let's just take a little bit of a, a long-term approach on that piece. And I think the bigger thing is that, you know, Frank talks about this idea that the team concedes as a unit. It's not just the, you know, I think it's easy to pull out where maybe Asphalt gets burned in the moment or you know, Mishi turned the ball over, lost possession that led up to the the goal that we conceded. Are we why are we not kind of looking at that as a critical opportunity? Because if Drew is in there, I, I kinda doubt he turns the ball over the same way. So it's easy to I think what the challenge is is not to allow a feeling about a player or their performance kind of allow you to make your narrative case that they're past it, they're past their prime, they're not contributing to the team the right way because that individual error in the sum of all of the errors that Chelsea made yesterday from management down to the bottom is that it's it's a collective failing to, to drop a 2-0 lead. That's not one individual player making all the mistakes. I mean, Zuma half the time he attempts that is probably going to, it's not, you know, 90% of the time, 99% of the time, he's not going to tip it into the goal. It's going to go the left way off his foot, similar to Tamori's challenge, go out and we're going to be talking about, man, how amazing was that save? Same with Asby. You know, there's going to be plenty of times we look at him. I mean, he's assisted uh, already this season and we're going to be like, wow, you know, he's, he's offering a lot both ways. He's making himself available, but he's, he in particular is, often been challenged 
every season up until now, especially with Ed and Hazard and the focal point of the attack going through the left, which this team needs to balance to be more symmetrical in our attacking options, is that it basically has left Asby on an island. So if that um, attacking player, whether it's Pedro William, doesn't track back to help, whether that midfield individual doesn't come back to assist, he tends to get overloaded and is asked to do a two-on-one, three-on-one. And so if we're not looking more holistically, Nick, I think we lose sight of the fact that Asby has uh, has generally had to do more with less on his side than Alonzo did at times where he would get, I think, a significant amount of assistance from the, the midfield or other players on the side. Yeah, I mean... Uh, with any player, right? Whether it's Alonzo from last year, whether it's Dave from this year, whether, you know, you kind of look at some of Zuma's earlier performances or you look at Jorginho from last year, when when an opposing team is able to isolate some of our players, it typically ends up not going well. Um, it's the same thing we try and do to other teams. I think we're just feeling a little, you know, I think we're a little bit more acutely aware of it because of... Um, because of kind of what's happening, um, you know, and, and some of the gaps in the team. Uh, Aspi is a model professional. He's a guy that I truly have enjoyed watching at Chelsea Football Club. I do not at all think his time at the club is up or that he's finished or, you know, I mean, this Twitter narrative is just fucking garbage, to be honest with you. Like, I, I just can't stand it. Now, he has to improve. I think I think we can be fair on that point. He has to he has to do better. I think he is you know as a leader has to be you know a little bit more responsible for when the tide turns against us, getting everyone back into it. Um, and and he clearly has better defensive days in him. So let's hope that Frank is able to kind of identify that or give him some rest or you know put Fakayo out at right back for a match or two to so that he can kind of see it from the bench or whatever needs to happen. But he is our captain. He's one of the most experienced players in this side. If you look at the, you know, how young the side was yesterday and he needs to be ever present in this squad this year. You know, I know that people are frustrated with him. Just give him a second. Okay. I think that's fair. That is very fair. So our last question before we wrap, uh, comes from miles saying, uh, he didn't think we would get it in before recording, but we got you miles. Is that what will our starting lineup be after the international break, considering the injury comebacks? And Nick, what I will caveat is Frank has said Pedro looks like he should be good to go, and Conte looks like he should be good to go. And as we talked to Dan Levine, Rudiger has been getting those minutes, full 90s, in PL2, which should put us in a good position. So who's your starting 11 heading into the Wolves match? <sighs> okay, so... I'm I'm interested in this. Uh, you know, I think Aspi is uh, is back at right back. Kepa obviously in the, between the sticks. I think Rudiger does come back. Um, I think he is uh, paired with Christensen in the back um, at center back. I think Emerson has clearly cemented his place at left back. Um, if N'Golo Conte is healthy, and I put that as the biggest fucking asterisk in the world right now, then he obviously is is my first name on the team sheet uh, every game. Um, if he is not, then I go with a 4-3-3 type of scenario with Jorginho Kovacic and uh, probably Barkley, um, although it wouldn't. It wouldn't be the worst thing to see Mason Mount drop in as as like a number eight type. 
Um, I know that's a lightweight midfield, but at least there's some good passing within that. And then I would probably throw William and um, and or Pedro and Pulisic on either wing in a 4-3-3 with Olivier Giroud starting up front um, against what is a tough Wolves center back situation. Although, Dan, bully out, red card, maybe maybe Tammy gets the start uh, after all. I just, I just don't I – know, I know you stand for your man, but boy, oh, boy. I stand. I stand. You, you, you definitely – I'm just, loyal. I don't I don't know what you're on with with putting Giroux in ahead of Tammy when Tammy is going to eclipse his goal contribution record to Chelsea in the Premier League probably in this match. <laughs> I, just, I don't I don't get it. Well, like I I think what what's interesting about Wolves is like I think tactically they are they're probably one of my like least favorite teams to play against in the league. Uh, you know, I think we had a tremendous amount of trouble with them last year. And if you show any sort of weakness, I think uh, Nuno, who is a manager that I still really like, uh, has a very good system to kind of neutralize your greatest impacts and then and try and attack your greatest weaknesses. They have improved over the offseason too. I mean, they were uh, they kind of strengthened, and, and I know they went kind of toe-to-toe with Everton today. But um, but they're they're going to be tough, man. Like uh, it, and it, okay, let's pretend that you know it's not a huge point of uh, pretending. Well, let's say Tammy gets a start. Frank has to identify if he's having a rough game. Maybe, and I know it's illegal, but maybe you play Giroud and Tammy together. Oh, <laughs> which that, that's just foolish. You know, you know it's the uh, it's the illegal. Premier League will come out and give <laughs> us a a five a five point deduction for doing that. <laughs> And that's oh. all. Of, that's all of our points. Um, well, you know. But look at but look at their form. Okay, well, you know, again, uh, Wolves have probably lower expectations than us in terms of where they should be this season. Drew Leicester, which we did. They drew against United. Uh, obviously, I think United w- should not have gone the way it did, but it did for us. They drew with Burnley, and now they just lost to Everton. I, I don't know, especially as they kind of now add the fact that they're playing Thursday night football. I don't know if they're as strong, you know, they look strong on paper, but I think maybe tactically or where they're at as a club today, maybe they're not as strong as they were last season. And and I think, again, I would just go with the hot hand. I mean, you know, I look at my lineup and I'm kind of drawing it out here. Agree with Kepa, agree with Aspi, agree with Rudy, agree with Christensen, Emerson. I go two in front of the defense, I go with the Kovacic-Kante pairing to really shore up some of the solidity, really bring some actual ball movement forward, kind of have that two box-to-box situation going on. Pedro Mount, uh, Pulisic, and then Abraham as my my lineup. And I think that is a lineup that should be able to uh, take all the points, uh, even going away versus Wolves. I, I just, I, I feel confident if... Conte, Kovacic, Rudiger um, are all back to full fitness uh, and, and able to contribute. I think that's a winning lineup. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope I hope so. Um, you know, I think this team, again, the, the schedule makers did Frank Lampard no favors at the beginning of the season. Um, you know, going to Wolves away, you know, as Manchester United just found out, not easy. Um, you know, they're certainly going to, I think, give us everything they got. And uh, we're going to need to be, I, th- I think, play a very sharp, succinct 
you know, passing system to kind of get through their, uh, their, their kind of three back system. So it's, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, again, when you look at how we struggled with them last year with a lot more experience in the team, uh, it, I'm not filled with confidence uh, that we're going to get all three points, but, um, but I know certainly it's something that we, you know, should, should aim for every, every time out. And I hope that, you know, the, the Mason Tammy connection still is, is solid. I think, um, you know, with a, with a, maybe a little bit of Rudiger involved that, that there could be some solidity there, but this team has a lot, a lot of stuff to work on over the next you know couple of weeks. And let's just hope that they start to find some, some solidity. Agreed. Co-signed, signed, steel delivered. That is it. We have landed our second episode of the week and we are going to get you out on that note. Uh, Nick, any final thoughts though? Give you one last chance. No Brandon here. No rules. Yeah, my, my Giroud take from earlier is probably wrong. So just, I know, just stop <laughs> stop yelling at me, everyone. Everyone's mad. It's fine. I still think he's great. I, I don't, Again, I don't think anyone questions that Giroud is, is a great professional. I mean, Dan made the comments uh, in the last episode about how he was applauding the, the work rate of Tammy. I, I think it's just the question of who should be the starting striker. And t- four goals in two matches, two braces is probably enough proof at the moment to say that he should be starting ahead of Giroud, regardless of what you kind of look at from a, a game perspective or what he does or doesn't offer. I and mean, finding the back of the net is the most important thing for a striker. It is. Um, but also having the stamina to play 90 minutes um, sure. is, is important. And I, you know, again, I think there's some, some questions about a lot of players in the squad, not just Tammy uh, having the ability to go a full 90. So uh, for all the stick that Cesaro's Pilaqueta gets, uh, I think he is the model professional of what 90 minutes uh, typically looks like uh, and giving it your all. Um, so just just some thoughts. All right. Well, that will do it for us. We might have a special pot or two during the international break. I think we're definitely going to record something as the Chelsea women take on the Spurs uh, women's team coming up uh, the next Sunday or this coming Sunday when you're listening uh, the 8th. So we will chat about that with you. But enjoy some international football. Enjoy not worrying about N'Golo Conte getting injured because he's not playing. And until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.